to the Starting Over Stronger Show, where you'll find help and hope for your divorce survival and recovery. Divorce well, live well. remember during my whole marriage, I thought, okay, this is terrible. Nobody understands what I'm going through. Nobody in this whole world can ever understand. I know nobody's ever going through this. But when I finally started talking to other women and started just talking to people in general, oh, there's a ton of people out there just like me. And if we'd open up more to people with people and not be so secretive about everything in life, then we'd realize there's a network of people that we can help each other out. Hello and welcome to the Starting Over Stronger Show. Thanks for joining us again for more that you love to hear about when you're going through your divorce. This time, we're not talking to a professional about a situation that you're dealing with in your divorce. We're talking with a fellow divorce survivor. Her name is Christina Saavedra and she is going to be talking to us today just to tell her story about her own divorce and what she's learned from that. And so welcome, Christina. I'll let you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself. Thank you. So I actually was born and raised in Kansas City. I moved to Atlanta following my uh, boyfriend at the time mm-hmm. to, uh, down there. And then we got married, had children, created a life. And then I ended up moving back here probably around 2018, um, left the children down there with their dad. That's what they wanted to do. Um, but so I probably was, I was down there probably longer than I, than I have been up here, but I'm back and and ready to start, start my life again. Awesome. Well, thank you again for joining us. And we definitely want to hear more about you and your life, but I appreciate that brief introduction. So let's just start with your divorce. How long ago did you get divorced? It started in 2011 and it finally ended in 2015. So it was about four years. Oh, wow. Okay. So we, we definitely got a lot to break down on that, but, but yeah. then again, it's been five years. So where do you want to start? You want to start with the during or the after? <laughs> um, maybe the during would be better. Okay. Well, let's do it. So you had been married for how long? We ended up being married for 20 years in okay. all tolls. So it was probably 16 when the divorce started. Okay. And you had kids together, I heard you say. We did, three children. Okay. And what are their ages at the time of the divorce? Oh, gosh, let me think. Um, I want to say maybe 11, 13, and 15. Yes, it was. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Very good. And girls, boys? Three girls. Three girls. Oh, goodness. Okay. Well, so let's just talk about... um, you filed or did he? He ended up being the one to file. I, I, we would, when we uh, would have our arguments, uh, I would tell him many times I'm on the fence. I know it's what I need to do, but I didn't have the courage, the strength. I don't know what you call it, but I just, I couldn't do it. Yeah. And what was the main thing holding you back? Uh, you know, probably, um, where my mindset was at. Um, I was, he was very good about telling me I'd never find anybody better. He was the best thing for me. And you believe those things. And so, gosh, if I divorce, then what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? He told me I'd be destitute. And so then that played a part in my mind. I didn't want to be destitute, destitute. So um, there were, there were a lot of 
things that kept me from, from making that decision that I knew was the right thing to do. Plus I didn't want my children to go through a divorce, a, a, a family that was broken up. Mm-hmm. That was the one thing I wanted was to keep my family together. And I tried everything I could for as long as I could. Yeah. Well, that's very common. And I know I, I dealt with that myself, so I get it totally. So he filed. And so what kind of transpired from that point that it ended up taking four years? Oh gosh, just one thing after another. Uh, one point I had to get a protection order against him because he did get physical with me. Um, paperwork, uh, just things just kept, it was like the court system <clears throat> kept procrastinating or even though during the protection order, there didn't need to be um, any kind of holdbacks there. It just seemed like one thing after another trying to, and, and he kept changing attorneys too. That was another thing. I think he must've had eight attorneys oh my during, gosh. during the divorce process. I didn't crazy. even know you could change that often. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I don't think that reflects well uh, on you when you do that. I mean, that's what I was told. You can change well, once. Right. But, well, you know, that's what I thought too, but yeah. you know, that didn't seem to put a hindrance on him at all. Oh, wow. Okay. So just delay after delay after delay. Were you pretty yeah. agreeable or were the delays as a result of you needing things he didn't want to give? No, I was, I was pretty good with, I didn't, I didn't ask for alimony. Um, child support was kind of pretty set in the beginning. Um, mm-hmm. so there really wasn't anything that we would, we were fighting about. There was some money that we each came into the marriage with as far as inheritance goes. Mm-hmm. That wasn't ever really an issue. He was good about, you know, this was hers and this was mine. So we didn't really fight about anything like that. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I guess it was just a delay. And he was very bad about getting the paperwork and whatnot um, for some things. Plus, because the, the accounts that we're talking about were so old and those companies had changed hands several times, it was hard to get the actual paperwork from the very beginning to prove um, one thing or another. Hmm. Okay. So do you feel like he was stalling things for uh, like on, on purpose for some reason, or he simply was truly stymied everywhere he went trying to get anything? No, I think he was probably stalling. Um, Because what ended up happening was, so we, our divorce was final in October of 2015, December of 2015, our oldest turned 16. So in January of 16, she, he started the process of turning the girls against me and um, wanting to convincing them that they should live with him so that he didn't have to pay me child support. So if he got all the children to go live with him, then he wouldn't be paying me. And what ended up happening was, Oh, a better deal for him was I ended up having to pay him child support. So gradually that in the year of 2016, he, he got them to sign the election to, um, to change their living situation. And, and he won that year. Wow. So was the reason for that because they just didn't want to move to a different state or what was the situation with their decision to stay with him? So it started off that um, he was promising cars and phones and things that I could not provide. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I didn't have the, 
income or the job that would provide any of those things. Yeah. But in the very beginning, when the divorce, divorce began, that was the first thing out of my mind, my mouth was, okay, I'm moving to Kansas City. I'm going to live with my family. And when the mediator said, okay, that's great. Well, he'll have all the holidays and vacations and breaks. And I said, oh, no, I won't be moving anywhere anytime soon. So th the moving out of state was never a factor after the very, very beginning mm. um, because I kept the girls in well, I guess we did move into a different school district after the school year had begun, after our, um, we moved when it first began. Um, but we were still in the same general area. Yeah. Okay. So you had, at what point did you end up moving here? In 2018. So it was about two years after he got custodial custody of the children. Okay. Um, I just was at a point in my life that I needed to be looking out for myself and concentrating on myself because mm -hmm. they were, I don't know, the children just were, they were changing being with him and he's not, he's not the best person in the world when it comes to raising the children, considering I did it the whole time that they were with me. Yeah. Um, so I decided that I need to concentrate on myself. And so I moved back to Kansas city to what I thought was help a friend, um, which that turned sour, but my mother ended up getting sick. And so I, I guess it was a way of God saying, okay, I'm taking this bad situation that you're in with this relationship that you have, mm -hmm. and I'm going to turn it to good. And so that's, that's kind of why I think I've moved back to Kansas city was because I needed to be here with, for my mother and my father. Yeah. Well, that makes total sense, but it had to have been hard. Extremely. Um, yes, because I was moving a 12 to 14 hour drive away from my children. I couldn't just get up and go, go get them or they couldn't just pop over and see me anymore. It, it has put a, a challenge in that respect. Um, but I'm, I'm concentrating on me and who I need to be. And that's what's important. I feel for me right now. Yeah. Well, so they were, uh, young teens when you divorced. So I guess by this point they're in their mid teens. Um, yes. Where were they at with this, um, choice to stay with living with their father? I mean, you were, you were still seeing them as, while you were living there. How often? Not as often as I, uh, as the court system said I should have the right to. Mm -hmm. um, so in the very beginning, I had said, okay, you know, I want these days and he can have these days because of certain things that we had going on in our lives, whether mm -hmm. it was church things, um, just events and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And so when the judge said, okay, now he's going to have custodial custody of the children um, and you can have visitation. He just flipped it. And I said, but that doesn't work for me. The reason he had those days was because I had things planned on those days. You know, think we had things scheduled. So yeah. it ended up not working out really well. And, you know, again, I'm having to re reevaluate, rethink what I needed to do. Um, mm -hmm. so in the beginning it was hard because I didn't get to see the children as much as I had wanted to. And then it got to the point where they didn't, in the beginning, they didn't really want to come over very much. They were angry. Hmm. What was their anger about? I don't know. I'm not sure. Um, maybe 
maybe because I was so upset in the beginning, it, it, the, um, when they decided to go live with their dad and the judge said, yes, he's going to live with them. That was the hardest day of my life. And so mm. I probably vented to them that cause it was a Friday evening and I probably vented to them more than I should have, mm -hmm. um, which upset them. I'm sure. Um, but that was, so that that's probably kind of where they didn't want to uh, be with me or, or be around me for a little bit. Um, and, but that was really hard for me too, because. Well, yeah, I mean, shoot <laughs> a woman that can get that news and not react badly is a better woman than me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's the way I'll say that. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, that, I mean, cause I, I honestly can only imagine what that would have been like. And then, you know, having to come to terms with that over time and realizing that, you know, it's not going to, your presence in the same city is not necessarily going to change anything. Maybe, you know, was that part of it that you real that you came to a realization that you, it wasn't going to get any better just because you were close. So you might as well go where you could get the support you need. Yes, I think so. Um, I think that had a lot to do with it. Plus, I didn't really have a steady job at the time, and, and I needed to look for something. But I was kind of a, a fish out of water. I didn't know exactly what to do, where to go, where to look. Um, I just knew that the position that I had been doing for several years, which was being a preschool teacher, wasn't what I wanted to do anymore. I just yeah. didn't know how to do what I wanted to do. And... So helping my friend, I thought would be a good way to at least get that started. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, and you know, I think there are a lot of people in those shoes that are, you know, it sounds like maybe if you were pretty lost career wise, that perhaps you either weren't working or you weren't working full time necessarily on a career endeavor uh, during the marriage. And so, um, I guess looking back over your divorce, what are the things that you would do different if you had it to do over again? Um, oh gosh, let's see. So I, I, wow, let me think about that. And there um, may be a lot of things. I, I guess that is kind of a broad question. I mean, but I guess that could kind of go two different directions. You could talk about things that you would have done differently that maybe would have prevented divorce or somehow changed that or, or your readiness for divorce, or you could just talk about specific actions that were taken during the actual divorce process that had outcomes that have greatly affected your life. Yes, definitely during the divorce, um, there were times that I would, uh, like, for example, if, if it wasn't his, let's say Tuesday wasn't his day and the girls would say, well, mom, can we go see dad for whatever the reason? And I'd say, nope, it's not his day. Well, he turned, when he got the girls, he turned that around on me. And now from that perspective, I can say, oh, that was a wrong thing for me to do. It should have been more open and you are allowed to see the children whenever you want, as long as we don't have something that's already planned or something that they want to do. Mm -hmm. uh, because that, that made it very difficult. Like I said, when um, he, the judge gave me the days that 
I, I couldn't really have the girls. There were things going on that had pretty much been in our lives for several years. And now I've got to rethink those activities or um, groups or, or what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I would have definitely been more open to not keeping them from him maybe is the right way to say it. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I guess in reality, that's what I was subconsciously trying to do, but I wasn't necessarily saying it. But the reason why I did that too, was he, he was verbally and mentally and emotionally abusive to me and the children. And I wanted to keep them away from that as much as I could. And I guess I probably did it in the wrong way, really. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, as I hear your story, of course, I'm not seeing the whole picture. I'm only hearing bits and pieces, but the the overall feeling that I have is that the system failed. Yes. And that, and that's, has to be a huge grievance for you. Oh yeah. I, and that's why I guess I'm asking, what would you do differently? Do you feel like if you selected a different attorney, do you feel like you could have put yourself more in the driver's seat of decision-making? Do you feel like the judge failed? Like where, what was the biggest failure that allowed this to transpire? Yeah, yeah I guess, I guess several of those, definitely the judge. Um, the judge got to the point where, I just know that he would look at his calendar and say, holy crap, here's that Saavedra family again. <laughs> oh my gosh. You know, what are they? Yeah. And so yeah. I think it got to where he didn't care what anybody said. He was going to just rule in whatever he just felt during that mm. particular day. Yeah. Um, but um, I think too, that, you know, I, I tried the best that I could. I, I, uh, we all make mistakes and there's lots of things that I wish I could turn back and, and do differently. Um, but I tried to teach the girls in the best way that I could. I was, I was angry a lot too. And I took that out on them more than I think I should have also. And I think that's what kind of also helped them want to go be with him. Even mm-hmm. though I thought there's no way a judge is going to let somebody who's had two DUIs and a protection order against him have the children and wow, that, that isn't true <laughs> because wow. he certainly got them. That's crazy. And not okay. I mean, it's just not okay. Right. And, and, I, and it's one of the biggest factors in my career path as a divorce coach and so many attorneys that are conscientious, hardworking, ethical attorneys that I've met with that are like so tired of seeing that outcome and feeling helpless to it because yeah, the judge is ultimately the deciding factor if you go to trial. And that's why, you know, me and judge and attorneys and anybody that's speaking to people going through a divorce are saying, do not put your future in the hands of a judge. Yes. Yes. Well, and the attorney, it's hard because you're, you're not agreeing on anything with your, with your spouse, but like the, the mediators are just constantly having these conversations with people. Look, I get it. You hate dealing with this person that you're divorcing. Everybody does, but you, you guys either figure out how to come together on these issues to something that's equitable or somebody that doesn't give a crap about you is going to decide it for you. Yep. And that's what happened. Yes, exactly. Well, and, and two, I got to the point with my attorney, I wish I had switched when I felt like I should 
but I felt like, well, I've already put so much time and energy into her and let me just stick with her. And I wish I hadn't have, I wish I had, when I felt I should change, I should have changed. I wasn't Absolutely. listening to that gut feeling that tells you to do things. Yeah. And, and we all ignore our gut and there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh -huh. Um, but I, I mean, I tell people all the time and I am not one to, I mean, I want attorneys to like me, to refer to me as a divorce coach. I don't go around like bad mouthing attorneys, but I'm very honest with my clients about what their expectations should be. And sometimes their expectations are too high. They're wanting an attorney to do things that are above their pay grade. They, they aren't supposed to be your counselor. They aren't supposed to get you emotional justice for the betrayals and wrongs of your marriage. They are legal representatives. They are to explain the law to you in terms that you can understand and share with you what your options are and help you understand what option to make. They aren't to tell you what to do. They aren't to, you know, be your counselor or your friend or any of those things. They just, they're just lawyers. Right. And yet the flip side of that is that some of them are in it for the wrong reasons and, or they get burned out or both. And they stir up anger and issues to keep the trial going, to keep the money coming in for them, or they're just, overwhelmed with more clients than they can reasonably serve well uh -huh. and they're terrible at communicating and they leave their clients in dire straits sometimes because they're trying to get a hold of their attorney to talk about an issue that has arisen and they can't get a hold of them they won't return their call they can't get them on the phone they can't get an email to respond it, it just these kinds of issues come up all the time and I, you know, my role as a coach and with working with a divorcing woman is for her to help her to understand that there are only two decision makers in divorce, you and your ex. Uh -huh. Those attorneys work for you. Yes. If they're not doing their job, it's time to talk about a performance review. And a really smart thing to do is to get an itemized bill before you do that to make sure that you've truly used all of your retainer that you, there might be not, a, you know, a portion that you could get back to apply to a new retainer. But, you know, I, I, ideally I meet somebody before they even hire an attorney. So we can talk about the best way to decide on an attorney for you, your situation, you know, but a lot of times, unfortunately I meet them when they're already in the pickle. They're already dealing with an attorney who's not representing them well, or maybe they are, and they're just not communicating. So they don't know that. Right. And so absolutely. I say, if you've got a bad attorney change. Yes. If there's any way possible for you to do that, do it. I did it. Yep. And in fact, when I did it, I was worried that it would make me look like I was, you know, a troublemaker or something. Mm -hmm. And I, I interviewed 
after that situation, I interviewed three attorneys and all three of them told me they knew of my former attorney and they knew that of the exact reason why I was changing and that they thought that I had made a good decision and that no judge would look at that and think anything negative about me. They'd be like, oh, you had so-and-so. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, that makes me feel better. <laughs> um, so it's not me. Um, but, you know, the, the problem came because I just took the recommendation of a friend who had just filed for divorce. Well, as it turned out, that friend is in a very different situation than I was in. There were total, total opposite situations as far as finances and the personalities involved. And it just, it wasn't a similar case at all. So she maybe did have a good outcome with that person because it was an easy divorce. And pretty much anybody can have a good outcome with that. Uh -huh. And mine was not that. And so, you know, it was wise for me to change. But like we talked about earlier, you know, changing eight times, probably not what you want to do. Right. Uh, for one, it's going to get really expensive. For two, it just slows the case down because that new attorney every single time has to get up to speed on your case. And yeah. it just does absolutely look like you are a problem to the judges. So definitely want to be careful about that. But, you know, you brought up a great point when you said that you should have trusted your gut because I think that we as women ignore that so often. Yes. And we want to talk ourselves out of these things we know because we don't know how we know them, but we do. And right. so I guess talk a little bit about that and, and then we'll kind of just see where that leads us. So talk about what part is it again? Trusting your gut. Oh, yes. So there's so many times in, in life in general that you've got those little butterflies or your stomach is just tossing and turning or, or something. And we just think, well, I'm going to go ahead and do it this way rather than that way, or make this decision rather than that decision. Mm -hmm. And then afterwards I realized, Oh, that was my gut telling me, no, no, you're not doing it the right way. You need to be doing it this way and see now mm -hmm. here are your consequences. So I think we need to try and listen to what our hearts are telling us more than, than we do. I think part of that too is, well, I don't want to rock the boat or I don't want to seem, seem negative or, or just not following along the way I should. No, it, it doesn't matter. If it feels like this is how you should be doing it, then that's probably how you should be doing it. Yeah. And you know, you just hit the nail on the head, a huge, huge stereotype between like a gender stereotype. Mm -hmm. is that when a woman speaks her mind and insists on something being done the way she thinks and believes that it should be done, she's considered bossy. Uh-huh, yes. When a, when a man does the exact same thing, sometimes even more aggressively, he's considered to be a good leader. <laughs> right? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, one of the most painful things I see in a woman as she's going through divorce is when she's willing to abdicate her decision-making to her attorney. And maybe it's because she's had an overbearing ex for years and she's used to just feeling like it's easier to go along and get this over with. And right. I just want, I just want to be done. I don't care what I have to give up. It is the number one regret of a woman in divorce that she 
settled for an outcome that was not in the best interest of her or her children for their future because of this exact thing, not willing to speak up, not recognizing that she's one of the two decision makers in this divorce. And that, you know, I think is the greatest transition that I see women make is the way I put it is you don't have to just go through divorce. You can grow through divorce. And I want to see women go through this season of transition and become who they were made to be and gain the empowerment to think for themselves and to speak their truth unapologetically. And this can often start in the legal process when they're going through divorce. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think it's really great that you brought that up and I appreciate it. I, I hope that somebody listening today is inspired to recognize that they are one of the decision makers and that they have valid thoughts and valid wants and valid needs and that there is absolutely nothing wrong with them advocating for those things. In fact, they're the only one that can. Absolutely. If you learn anything through, through divorce, it's that if something's going to happen that's to your benefit, you're going to be the one that's going to make it happen. Yes. Nobody's coming to save you. I agree. You yeah. are your savior, right? Definitely. So, so you know, we talked a little bit about this previously about, um, you know, the overarching theme of recovery and divorce is focusing on yourself, learning that that's not selfish, learning how to enjoy life, uh, to kind of get yourself out of that fight, flight, and freeze brain, um, that fear brain that, that honestly so many people operate in their entire life, but especially during divorce. Yes. And, and just taking a breath and realizing that life is short and you have faced so much and you want this point on to be different than everything that came before it. So how would you say that that resonates with you for your divorce and your recovery since? Oh, absolutely. Um, You know, just going back um, in time, you know, we've got to, got to listen, listen to our hearts and, and stand up for ourselves and, um, look out for number one more than anything. If you can't look out for yourself, you can't help your children. You know, that thing, that thing that they say you do the, when you're in the airplane, do your mask yeah. to other people, mm-hmm. not just children, it's anybody, anybody that's in the plane. You can't help anybody in your life if you can't take care of yourself yeah. first. Yeah. What are some ways that you have learned to focus on yourself and enjoy life? Um, finally meeting other women and, and people and just also helping people in my same or similar situation. Um, Mm -hmm. I started working with the battered women's shelter when I was in Atlanta and going in as a victim, ending up being a survivor, but then also helping in the respect of taking the phone calls, being on the board, just help other people that I can um, that might be going through what I'm going through. Because I remember during my whole marriage, I thought, okay, this is terrible. 
nobody understands what I'm going through. Nobody in this whole world can ever understand. I know nobody's ever going through this. But when I finally started talking to other women and started just talking to people in general, oh, there's a ton of people out there just like me. And if we'd open up more to people with people and not be so secretive about everything in life, then we'd realize there's a network of people that we can help each other out and work, mm -hmm. work our way through things. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And you know, it just is a reality that, you know, that part of our life is gone and we're coming into this future. And I think the worst thing that could possibly happen after enduring all of that is to do it again. Uh, yes. Right. Oh, yeah. So, so what do you need to do today to not repeat yesterday? Definitely. And, go ahead. No, I was going to say definitely learn who I am, what my needs are, what, what works good for me. Mm -hmm. And then, um, watch for those red flags. There are red flags, but we're, it's hard for us to see when we're in love. And I, I use quotes, um, there because, you know, when you're in the beginning of a relationship, um, it may seem like puppy love or, or whatever. Um, but you've just got to look, look for those things that are telling you and your gut too, when it says, uh, something's not right about this. If you can't figure out what's not right, it doesn't matter. It probably isn't right. You need to mm -hmm. listen to that and not yeah. worry about figuring out what isn't right, but just move on. Mm -hmm. So I, I've definitely tried to, to take care of myself and, and learn about myself and who I am and, and get those people in my life that want to do the same thing. Yeah. Yep. It's all about creating a new life that you can love. And it sounds like you're doing that. And so I just want to thank you for sharing your story, for being vulnerable and transparent with the listeners. And most of them are people that are in very similar shoes to you and they needed this encouragement. And so I just want to thank you again for, for being here and for sharing. And I want to close out with this quote that I found online uh -huh. um, from a uh, Brianna Weist, Weist, I don't know how to pronounce that <laughs> at the Minds Journal. Um, she says, your new life is going to cost you your old one. It's going to cost you your comfort zone and your sense of direction. It's going to cost you relationships and friends. It's going to cost you being liked and understood, but it doesn't matter because the people who are meant for you are going to meet you on the other side. And you're going to build a new comfort zone around the things that actually move you forward. And instead of being liked, you're going to be loved. And instead of understood, you're going to be seen. All you're going to lose is what was built for a person you no longer are. So let it go. I, like I think that is so powerful. And I think yeah. it's just a great place to end. So thank you again, listeners for joining us here today. And I hope that you're encouraged. We meet you here every Wednesday to share about the things that are important to you as you go through your divorce, including hearing other people's stories to help you set yourself free. So thank you for being here. We'll see you again next week for more help as you divorce and hope as you are starting over stronger.